0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Harnessing electricity in different ways from things on our planet. Now there's an awful lot of bacteria on earth, a lot of it being E. coli, but it's the way we could make that E. coli work for us. After all, electricity producing bacteria we know about, but E. coli is much simpler to deal with, plus ways to enhance geothermal energy production and prevent short circuits of cold water ruining the whole thing. E. coli is one of the most studied bacteria and for good reason uncontrolled and exposed to humans it can lead to some pretty nasty sicknesses but it's also a really good model organism for studying how bacteria works. We've learned a lot about E. coli and some of the strange things it can do. For example we have known for a while now that in the right conditions you can get E. coli to produce electricity. Yes, this is strange, the thing that can give you an upset stomach is also capable of producing electricity through a process known as extracellular electron transfer. Now, this process normally actually reads some kind of base stock because the electron transfer that they undertake needs to have a certain condition if the E. coli has a certain feedstock available or the right environmental conditions, then yes, you can get it to produce enough excess electrons that it actually creates electricity. And this is good because they're a relatively common microbe. And they were only able to do this in response to specific chemicals, which made it a bit disappointing because actually we would love E. coli to be useful because we can relatively easily understand and know how to harness it. And when we were able to find some way to use this bacteria's powers for good, we'd potentially have a new way of generating electricity. Normally often, when we think about coal, nuclear or gas, these are all actually generating electricity by producing steam just with a variety of fuel sources wind turbines are producing electric current through spinning a blade hydroelectricity is spinning a blade just a different way this is a different approach entirely it's chemical based or biological based really so there's a lot of obvious interest in producing electricity from these bacteria and the right chemicals needed to trigger this the bacteria producing electrons is really the question because one of the things that we have a lot of is of course waste in particular things like pollution and waste water now if you think about the problem of this and often we're trying to have and get rid of water that has been contaminated with the E. coli but instead of viewing that as a negative what if we're able to view that as a positive and get that bacteria to produce electricity in waste water that's what researchers from the E. coli federal Luzern have been publishing in the journal Joule. The lead author on this paper was Mohamed Maub, along with others from the EPFL. They were working under the direction of Professor Artemis Bohosian and what they were trying to do is to find a way to get this E. coli to not only produce electricity, but to produce it efficiently. Because we know it can do it at the moment, but we want to try and make it really efficient at producing electrons, and do it in not complicated circumstances, a pretty common and easy one like waste water. So they engineered the E. coli bacteria to exhibit what they called enhanced electron transfer, highly efficient electromicrobe, microbe transfer method. Now, they can do this, they can produce electricity while metabolizing a variety of different organic substrates or bases or feedstock for them. So they weren't limited to just one. And they created a whole new electron transfer pathway inside the E. coli. And they integrated components from a different bacteria, Chenovanella oenodinoceris MR1, Now that's a bacteria that we know already can generate electricity and so the researchers took things from that bacterium and planted it into the E. coli and they constructed an optimized pathway inside the E. coli that spans the inner and outer membranes of the cell learning a lesson and literally taking from another form of bacteria that had already solved this problem. Now this novel pathway makes it stronger about a threefold increase of electrical generation compared to the conventional strategy. But that's one step making it more efficient. The other important step is actually getting it to produce that electricity in a variety of real world conditions. And that included wastewater collected from a brewery. Where these Normally, of mod- these exotic electric microbes would otherwise have failed in these tough conditions. The actual modified E. coli thrived. This is a great spot for E. coli to live. And it was putting out three times the amount of electricity at the same time. So here you have a great method of enhancing a bacteria that we're familiar with, E. coli. And in effect, tackling two things at once then boosted its electric generation performance. And uh, and because this is not a super exotic microbe, it can handle all kinds of strange locations, well, it could be used easily in places like wastewater treatment. Now, you could think about ways you could use this E. coli and things like microbial fuel cells or biosensing to a few applications where you could apply it. But because bacteria, this bacteria in particular is Pretty flexible and well understood, you could tailor it to a certain feedstock in our environment. Which means that if you wanted to target or clean up a certain type of waste or had a particular environment where you wanted to have some electric production or biosensing, you could harness the power of this well understood simple bacteria do it. And this is great because they've made not only a more efficient process of generating electricity with bacteria, but they've done it in what is not some exotic bacteria, but one that's rather well understood and easy to deal with. There's some great research from the École Polytechnique Fédérale de Zun, published in the journal Joule with lead author Mohamed Mab. beneath the surface of the earth the crust of course we know there is a large amount of heat we see that erupt out violently in the form of volcanic eruptions but sometimes a bit more passively and fascinatingly in geothermal vents life beds in the deep sea or perhaps fascinating areas where you can go and have a nice relaxing hot mud bath. There's plenty of these locations where there's a large amount of geothermal energy on offer there in places like New Zealand and Iceland to name a few. But the real challenge if we think about it is a way of using that beyond just heating up some water and then having a nice sauna or a hot spring surely there's a way to tackle this seemingly limitless amount of energy in the center of the earth to use it instead of burning or building massive wind turbines. Why can't we simply harness the energy beneath our feet? And of course geothermal energy is this entire concept because it's meant to be something with almost zero emissions and it's relatively simple and straightforward to get your head around. Take cold water from the top, put it down into the ground where it heats up, bring it back up to the surface and get it to spin a turbine to create electricity. That's how it works and it seems for the public at least that it's some kind of infinitely renewable and powerful source of energy and that's where it falls down in practice because the real world doesn't quite work like that. It's a topic that researchers and engineering from Penn State University have just published in the journal paper, including a lead contributor on this paper, Professor Rashdahi Dahi Now, in practice, a real geothermal well and system basically involves injecting cold water into hot rocks deep underground. That cold water travels through the fractures in the rocks, and through that process, heats up. Then... A little bit further away from there you have a production well that pumps out the heated liquid to the surface where you can then use it to spin a turbine and thus create electricity. The problem is that if you have wide cracks or perhaps a not very helpful series of cracks that water can rush from the pumping in location to the pump out location without getting a chance to sufficiently heat up. In one sense, we would call this a short circuit, not in the same way that we have in electricity, but the effect is similar because the efficiency of the total system disappears. Another way to imagine it is you're trying to cool the things inside your fridge, but if you leave the fridge door open, warm air is coming in and your fridge doesn't get any chance to cool down the contents inside. If you have an air conditioner and the air conditioner is blowing the cold air straight out an open window, it's a similar problem. So all of these things are examples where you can end up with this flow of air creating a short circuit, but this is what's also happening with the water in the rock. And when the water doesn't get enough chance to heat up sufficiently and you pump it back out again, the whole thing falls apart because of course, pumping down and up that water takes energy. Now it makes sense to do that if you get way more energy out from the change in temperature than you spent pumping it, then that system can work really really well. But if you spend more energy pumping than you're getting out of the water you're bringing back up to the surface then the whole thing collapses. It doesn't make any sense and you're actually spending electricity rather than generating any. Now researchers try to prevent these shortcuts before they form by changing the way the water circulates or flows through the system, and sometimes even shutting down, letting the water seep through, heat up, and then turning back on again. Now that's a problem because that means that it's not producing continuously. And really one of the main advantages over this, say, compared to wind power is that geothermal should be able to produce continuously because the earth is always hot deep beneath our feet. So what the researchers were looking at was ways to add materials or chemicals into the liquid pumped into the reservoir that could help control the flow of that water inside the rock itself. This process called fracture conductivity tuning involves adding materials that could change the properties with the temperature. If it's cold water, it stops it from flowing. And if it's hot water, it will flow right through the fractures. This is a pretty cool trick. Add something to the water that changes in response to temperature. Then only lets it be pumped out once it's warmed up enough. And the thing is, all of this stuff is happening inside of rock. They don't have any access to it. and It's, it's so hot and the pressure is so high down there that you can't whack what you would otherwise do, a sensor or a valve down there. But with this method, you can basically act like an autonomous regulator, reducing the fluid amount passing through the fractures when it's too cold, letting it heat up by staying at the rock. And then once that chemical releases a little bit, the temperature's up to a certain level, you can pump it out. And this would spread the flow more uniformly across the reservoir. And you would mean that you actually get good heat pass through from one spot up to the surface. Now, it hasn't been tried yet, but using modeling techniques, they found this process could increase the cumulative heat extraction at a a normal enhanced geothermal well by more than 65%. And over 50 years of production, that would be a huge amount of improvement. Now, these are a good step, proving in theory that this could work. And it would also expand how you could apply these because you could use different types of rock resources as a starting point. You could use a reservoir of rock with a higher fracture density and connectivity that would otherwise have been too difficult to use beforehand. Now for example they mapped the fracture networks from a rocky outcrop in the Arx National Park in Utah and they found that if they applied their technique in the real world geology you could provide an extra 101 percent energy extracted from that geothermal well and this suddenly makes these geothermal vent wells much more cost effective and beneficial for production of electricity so whilst getting energy out from under the ground is possible doing so efficiently and in a way that's consistent is a real challenge changing and avoiding short circuits by using modified chemicals in the water that respond to temperature would help us solve that problem but it's yet to be tried but researchers from Penn State, like Rajdahi Telkane and Khoito Zhang, who have published in the journal Energy, are showing great strides in trying to find ways to make geothermal more powerful and beneficial for use, as we search for more renewable sources of electricity. This has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast, The Green Point. From modifying e. coli bacteria to make it an efficient producer of electricity, plus ways to enhance geothermal energy production to help it work without short circuits.